0: A young lawyer was setting himself up in his first private practice. As he sat in his office, which was basically bare except for his desk with a telephone on it and a bookcase filled with, with important looking legal books, He wondered how long it would take before he got his first client. Then as luck would have it, from his window he saw a man crossing the street and coming towards his front door. Feeling nervous and wanting to make a good impression on this working class looking man. He quickly picked up the phone receiver and began talking to an imaginary client on the phone. The man, now standing in the office in front of his desk, waited several minutes while the lawyer concluded his conversation with this seemingly very important client. Finally, after ending the conversation, The the young lawyer looked up at the man, now directly in front of his desk, and with an attitude of smugness and superiority, he said to the man, can I help you? The man looked at the lawyer, and without missing a beat, he said, I'm from the telephone company, and I'm here to set up your telephone. That's bad, isn't it? (laughs) So this, this lawyer wanted to look good. He sought to inflate his ego. But in doing so, when faced with the reality of a telephone man, he looked very foolish. In a roundabout way, the false teachers who had come to Colossae were doing the same thing. They wanted to appear superior. They sought to elevate themselves. And in their deceptive, and self-righteous teaching, which was a fusion of Christianity and Judaism and other philosophies, they taught that favor with God was earned by looking good, thereby diminishing the work of Christ. They claimed that Jesus was just a good starting point. Just a good starting point. But in the end, he was not enough. The Colossians needed to do more apart from Christ. Well, if you recall from last week in this letter, the Apostle Paul gave the Colossians a reality check. And he explained that when they were born again, at the moment of their salvation, they were spiritually united to Christ. In such an intimate way, that Paul referred to it as being in him. In him. In this spiritual union, they were in Christ, full and complete. They had everything they needed, and therefore, there was nothing they could add through their self-effort. Paul poked a great big hole in their false Jesus-plus teaching. Jesus-plus. And Paul's not done. So if you have your Bible... Turn to Colossians chapter 2. And we will begin with verse 16. Where Paul begins to address three challenges that the church was facing. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, where he says, Therefore, No one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance... Belongs to Christ. If you notice, that passage begins with the word, therefore. Or the word, so. Depending on your translation. And it's an important word because it connects these words of Paul to his previous thought. Namely, that in Christ believers are complete. In Christ, our sin debt has been wiped away because it was nailed to His cross. In Christ, the power of sin can no longer dominate a believer we can now say no to those things that we once said yes to. In Christ, we share in the victory accomplished by Him. We are alive because He is alive. And as a result, we are free to walk in this life with Him. We are complete in Christ. We have everything we need, and that is the spiritual reality of every single believer. And as such, Paul says, don't let anyone act as your judge. So what does Paul mean by that? Well, it is this. Since we are complete in Christ, we should not allow others to intimidate us, judge us, or enslave us with a bunch of religious rules and rituals thinking that if we do them, we will be more acceptable to God. Apparently, These false teachers tried to convince the Colossian believers who were predominantly Gentile, that's important, they were Gentile, that their spirituality was based on how well they followed certain Old Testament Jewish rules and rituals they had never heard of. Specifically, rules pertaining to their diets, what they ate and what they drank, and rules and rituals pertaining to certain days, such as festivals and new moon ceremonies and even the Sabbath. These false teachers taught that a person's approval and acceptance by God was gained and maintained by keeping the rules to look good. Their focus was not on the righteousness that believers have in Christ, but rather their focus was centered on the self-righteousness and the self-effort of man the performance of man which we call legalism 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 is a focus on religious rules as grounds for earning as grounds for earning God's favor or we could just as well say it's a failure to be amazed by God's grace it's a failure to be amazed by God's grace the false teachers measured spirituality by keeping lifeless rules not rules like love the Lord God with all your heart or love your neighbor as yourself, but rules pertaining to such things as their diet and their holy days. Rules they enforced through guilt and shame that led to nothing but misery. I want to read something from Max Licato. You know that name? Max Licato. He says, a legalist believes the supreme force behind salvation is you. If you look right, speak right, and belong to the right segment of the right group, you will be saved. The brunt of the responsibility doesn't lie within God, it lies within you. The result? The outside sparkles. The talk is good and the step seems true. But look closely. Listen carefully. Something is missing. What is it? Joy. Legalism is slow torture. A suffocation of the spirit. An amputation of one's dreams. Legalism is just enough religion to keep you. But not enough to nourish you. So you starve your teachers don't know where to go for food so you starve together your diet is rules and standards no vitamins no zest just bland predictable religion Max Lakedo is absolutely right, and I know he is right because for many years I fell into that trap. Oh, I knew I was saved by grace, but I wasn't living by it. And every time that church door was open, I had better be there. And when asked to do anything in the church, I could not say no. Because I was trying to make myself acceptable to God on the basis of my own efforts. I felt like a hamster on a wheel moving as fast as I could, and getting absolutely nowhere. It completely sucked the joy right out of me. And when the joy was gone, so was the worship. You see, legalism does not recognize grace for living. Instead, it makes you feel hopeless as you try to please God who in your mind is never pleased with you. For a legalist, and I know, God is constantly judging you with a harsh, critical eye. Making sure you are crossing your T's and dotting your I's just right. And if you don't, and you won't, then you have lost his favor. Legalism is exhausting. It's performance-based, not pardon-based. It's performance-based, not pardon-based. It makes you miserable. And oddly enough, it makes you judgmental. Of those who don't do what you do. Now in this passage. I want you to understand. That Paul was not. Condemning food. Or drink. Or holy days. Or even rules for that matter. Okay. There are things in the Bible. That we are specifically told that are wrong. Things we should not do, right? Sexual promiscuity is wrong. Lying and stealing are wrong. The Bible is very clear on these things and we need to obey God in these things. But for these false teachers, they were trying to impose a Jewish legalistic system on Gentile believers who knew nothing about the Old Testament, telling them they had to abide by certain cherry-picked rules. Cherry-picked rules, usually man-made rules, in order to earn and keep God's favor. Claiming that God accepts us based on what we do or do not do. When in reality, when in reality God accepts us because Jesus lived a sinless life, went to the cross, and died on our behalf. He paid our sin debt in full. We are debt free. Our sin was nailed to His cross. We are pardoned. And to add anything to that is to suggest that Jesus was not enough and His work was not sufficient to save. So if a Christian wants to eat a kosher diet, then go for it. But don't get the idea that it makes you more spiritual or brings you closer to God for you are already complete in Christ. And don't judge someone who does not eat a kosher diet. Don't judge. And don't let someone judge you. Don't let someone intimidate you with their legalistic Jesus plus teaching. Yes, it might sound good. It may appear spiritual. It may seem Christian sounding. But Paul says, don't do it. You are complete in Christ. You need Jesus plus nothing else. Jesus is enough and everything else except." ...for him, Paul says, is but a mere shadow. A mere shadow. So what does Paul mean by that? A mere shadow. Well, a shadow is cast... ...when something or somebody... ...blocks the light. And Paul says that these false teachers were living in the shadow of religion. A shadow that was given in advance of the one who actually casts the shadow. They were focused on the rules and the rituals of religion while ignoring the reality of Christ. If I returned from a long trip and Trisha dropped to the ground and started kissing my shadow, I would say, hey Trish, I'm up here. These lips are real. Does that make sense? Hey, I'm up here. The real thing is up here. That's just a shadow. That's what Paul is describing here. Once you have found the real thing, once you have found Christ, you don't need the shadows anymore. Christ is the reality. And much of what we read in the Old Testament was simply a shadow cast from Him. In the wilderness, the Jews ate manna. You remember that? They ate manna. But that's a shadow. For Jesus is the manna from heaven. He says, I am the bread of life. They celebrated Passover and sacrificed lambs. But that's a shadow for Jesus was the true Passover lamb that God had sent to take away the sin of the world. And only by His blood is there eternal life. They observed the Sabbath. But that too was a shadow for The true rest, the everlasting rest, is only found in Jesus Christ. Everything points to Him. Listen, if you live in the shadow of religion, if your spirituality is based on keeping the rules, if... Favor with God has to be earned. Then you have fallen into the trap of legalism and you are missing out on the reality of a gracious and loving relationship with Jesus Christ. The false teaching of legalism was a challenge Faced by the Colossians. But there was a second challenge. So let's continue with verse 18. Paul says, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. Let's stop there. In this passage Paul moves from legalism to mysticism. Y'all hot in here? Y'all getting hot in here? Okay. Okay. Maybe it's just me. So so what is mysticism there are several definitions out there but I would describe mysticism as a spiritual quest to have spiritual experiences with the spirit world apart from the Word of God or the Holy Spirit Do I need to repeat that? Mysticism is a spiritual quest to have spiritual experiences with the spirit world apart from the Word of God or the Holy Spirit. The false teachers claimed to have visions And contact with angels. They claimed to step. Into the invisible realm. Taking trips outside the body. And they told the Colossians. That if they wanted to reach the levels of spirituality. They were at. Which was a lie. Then they too. Needed to seek out these kinds of mystical experiences. So they used these experiences as a basis to measure one's spirituality. They told people to humble themselves before spiritual beings to seek visions, and to worship angels, something Christians should not do. And unfortunately, in bypassing the Word of God and the Spirit of God, they were opening themselves up to demonic activity. I think we are seeing a lot of that today with the fascination of the paranormal. Paul said to the Corinthians that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And I suspect, this is my opinion, okay I suspect that in these paranormal experiences, Satan and his fallen angels are masquerading As the dearly departed. Who once lived among us. That's my opinion. Now I know there are angels. If you recall we just finished the book of Daniel. And we were introduced to two of them by name. Right? Michael and Gabriel. I believe in miracles and signs and wonders i know that believers can have various kinds of spiritual experiences i get that but the danger comes when a person becomes obsessed with seeking these things when that happens when the experience becomes the primary focus. When the need for an experience turns into a compulsive desire, then Jesus becomes an afterthought. And Paul says, they have lost their connection with the head. When a Christian loses their connection with the head, Paul says there is no spiritual growth and the Christian could be defrauded out of their prize. And when speaking of the prize, many suggest that Paul is referring to heavenly rewards. Christians can lose rewards when they appear before Christ for judgment. That could happen, right? That could happen. But there's another thought, which is where I tend to lean. Apart from Christ, apart from Christ, believers could be cheated out of the real experience. We could be cheated out of the real experience of living our lives to the fullest in Him. I think that's where we're defrauded. I think that's where we are cheated. The false teachers were telling the believers of Colossae, that mystical visions and conversation with angels and deeper experiences were necessary to make them truly spiritual. But once again, Paul brings them right back to Christ. In Christ, they don't need to seek anything or anyone else. They are complete in So we looked at the challenge of legalism and mysticism that confronted the Colossians. Now we come to the last challenge. Beginning with verse 20. This one's a doozy. Beginning with verse 20, Paul says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world... Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Okay. Paul condemned legalism. And mysticism, now he condemns asceticism. You might know what that is? Asceticism. OK? what in the world is that? Asceticism is a, a philosophy that teaches the body is evil. The body is evil. It's your enemy. Okay? And depriving the body of its normal desires is a means of becoming holier and gaining the approval and acceptance of God. it seems, at least to me, to be an exaggerated form of legalism. Because it too is wrapped up in a system of man-made rules. But it's extreme. In that it calls for strict and severe forms of self-neglect and self denial and even self torture in order to become more spiritual. Can you bring that, that one uh, slide up? You want to turn the. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. There you go. Just so you can enjoy that. Yeah. That's, a, that's a, a guy there who has a steel grate welded. To his neck. So he cannot sleep. That's asceticism. Yeah. Light back on please. Throughout history... Treating one's body as an enemy has been seen in various ways. It could include wearing thick shirts made of hair. Made of hair. As if itching and scratching makes you more spiritual. It might be seen by sleeping on hard beds or a bed of nails. It might be seen, have you seen this? If you watched uh, the, that movie with uh, Tom Hanks uh, with angels and demons, whatever it's called, where the, the, the guy was whipping himself at the back? Da Vinci, Da Vinci Code. And there was one guy who would take a whip and just beat himself, flagellate the back. That's right, absolutely. Beating themselves to a pulp. Castorating themselves. Not speaking for days, maybe even years. Going without food, going without sleep. No contact with strangers. I mean, the list can go on and on. As a monk, Martin Luther, you know that name, right? Martin Luther fell into asceticism before he became a believer. He would lie naked in his cell at night in the bitter cold and beat his body and torture himself trying to find peace with God. It's Martin Luther. But Paul says this is all wrong. It's all man-made stuff. And once again he reminds the Colossians they are in Christ. They died with Him. They were buried with Him. And they are alive because He is alive. They are complete in Christ Jesus paid their sin debt in full on His cross, and He has already secured their favor and acceptance and approval for them. Jesus did that. It's a done deal, so why submit yourself to these rules? Such as do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch. Now, just for clarification, Paul is not saying don't take care of yourself. If you are overweight like myself, don't eat a Big Mac and a large fry with a chocolate milkshake every day. Do not taste, even though it tastes good. I know. If you are allergic to peanuts, don't eat peanut butter, even though peanut butter pie is awesome. That's wisdom, right? That's self. Discipline, that's restraint. These are things we need to practice as Christians. We should live disciplined lives. At times we need to use restraint. Many times we have to do hard and difficult things that God wants us to do. But in it all, we do these things out of love. That's our motivation, and quite frankly, motivation is the key to all of this. We don't do these things to earn God's love and favor. We do them because we are favored and loved. I hope you get the difference. Right? We don't do these things to earn God's love and favor. We do these things because we are favored and loved. And it's something the false teachers could not grasp. The false teachers presented legalism and mysticism and asceticism as a self righteous way of earning God's love and favor and getting closer to him but they did not understand that in Christ believers are loved and favored far more than they could ever know and God was nearer to them than they could ever imagine yes keeping the rules And the visions and the contact with angels and the self-denial of the body looked very religious. And it seemed spiritual. There appeared to be some wisdom in it. But to Paul, it was all for show. It was false humility and there was absolutely no value in it. That's what he said. No value. You can do all that stuff, but apart from Christ, it won't make you a better person. You can join a monastery. You can wear a robe. You can live in poverty. You can take a vow of silence, but that will not change your heart. It doesn't save. It doesn't earn the approval of God and it doesn't add a thing to Christ because there is nothing to add. Nothing. Imagine for a moment that you are poor and needy. You're poor and needy, you are desperate. You haven't eaten in days. You are cold. And you are tired because you have been walking all day. You with me? Darkness comes and you notice some lights in the distance through the trees. Your aching stomach urges your throbbing feet to keep going just a little farther. As you draw closer in the night, you see the lights are coming from a huge house. The curtains are drawn back. And as you move closer for a better look until your face presses against the window, you are shocked at what you see. It's a feast. It's a feast. A huge table is covered from end to end with more food than you've seen in months. Green vegetables. Steaming meats. Cold drinks. Warm bread. Your stomach rumbles. Your mouth waters. You feel faint from hunger. As the butler is serving the guests, the master of the house glances over and notices your face pressed against the window. He thinks to himself, There is a person in need. And he motions for the butler to go out and speak to you. Your first instinct is to run away and hide. Because you think they want to punish you for trespassing. But the butler calls out to you, please, the master would like you to come in and dine at the table with him. So you go in and you eat. Your great need has been met by the master and the fullness. Of his table. In a similar way, in a similar way, our great spiritual need has been met beyond measure by Christ. Jesus is the fullness of God, and from his fullness, he has made us complete. In him we brought nothing to the table nor can we Jesus provided everything we need and therefore Paul might ask why would you look anywhere else <coughs> Let us pray. Father, I thank You for this time in Your Word. Father, I I pray that I did justice. I pray, Lord God, that what was said and what was heard was pleasing in Your sight. Lord God, I thank You for hammering home over and over and over again that we are full and complete in Jesus Christ. How can we miss that? There is absolutely nothing we can add to His finished and completed work. He did it all on our behalf. Thank You. Thank You, Lord. Father, I just pray that that truth would just sink down deep inside and that You would remind us over and over again there is absolutely nothing we can do to earn Your favor, to earn Your approval, to earn Your acceptance. It has already been earned through Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, that he would be our absolute everything. That we would live in him. We live in grace. Thank you, Father, for who you are and what you did through Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen. You may have heard this before in nineteen sixty two i think that's what i think that was the year in sixty two there was a well known theologian by the name of of carl barth b a r t h he was uh He was a Swiss-German theologian. And in 1962, he was invited to the U.S. to speak in a chapel at the University of Chicago. After he spoke and gave his lecture... He was asked if he could summarize the greatest truth in the Bible. The single greatest truth in the Bible. Could he do that? And he said he learned the single greatest truth from his mom. It was in a song. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. The greatest truth in the Bible. This guy was a deep thinker. A theologian of theologians. People are still reading his stuff. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And it's because he loves me. And because he loves you. More than you could ever know. More than I know. It's because of his love. That we love him. And it's because of love that we are motivated to obey. I don't obey Him because I'm trying to earn His love. I don't don't have to obey because I'm trying to earn favor with Him, or acceptance by Him, or approval from Him. That's not why I obey. It's because He loves me. My want to changes. My, it, that, that's what changes. My motivation changes. It's not that I have to do these things. It's now, because of love, I want to do these things. It changes everything. As a believer, you are complete in Christ. You are full in Christ. And if we, get, if, we get, if we fall for legalism or this mysticism or asceticism, we are missing out on this rich, gracious, loving relationship we have with Him. We're cheated out of that were cheated out. And I'm telling you, having been there, my wife will tell you. I was a miserable Christian. Miserable. Miserable. Because in my mind, God was never Satisfied with me. Never pleased. Never happy. Oh, I knew I was saved by grace. I knew that. But after that, I had to earn his favor. I had to earn his acceptance. I had to earn his approval. And Paul would say, What are you thinking? You can't do that. You are saved by grace and you live by grace. And that changed everything for me. That's right. That's right. That changed everything for me. I was so miserable. I had no joy. When I went to church, because I had to, I couldn't sing a song. I would just stand there, in my mouth like this. They're singing songs of joy, not me. Because I'm there for all the wrong reasons. Everything became drudgery. Everything. Going to church, Bible study, prayer, you name it, it was drudgery. No joy. No joy. If you're dealing with that, boy, I would love to talk with you. I would love to talk with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't understand the truth behind that, what that means, of being in Him. I would love to talk with you. If you're looking for a church home, we'd love to have you. i would love to talk to you about that. Or maybe you just need Prayer. I'll pray with you. Because I want to, not because I have to. However the Lord leads you this morning. However He leads you. I just ask that you respond to Him because He loves you. Because He loves you. Who's leading? Shannon? Shannon?